Alright. Yeah. Hey, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 27. 1 Samuel 27 is where we're going to be tonight. We are actually going to be uh, kind of all throughout the end of 1 Samuel. We're going to start out in chapter 27, but we're actually going to finish 1 Samuel tonight. Uh, what? I know, it's so crazy. Uh, we're going to be finishing 1 Samuel tonight. So one thing, um, if, you ever, if you've ever heard me preach on like a Sunday morning, a lot of my intros, you know, kind of start kind of the, they kind of start similarly if you pay attention. I typically kind of open with something that like I'm interested in or something that I enjoy. So sometimes I'll talk about uh, sports things or my family or whatever it may be. Uh, tonight I'm actually going to open with something a little bit different. I want to open with something that drives me crazy. Okay, you ready? Something that is like, that's like, it's a bit of a pet peeve for me. And this is, these are, and, and I, I hate to say like it's these people, but it is. It is these, the type of people who kind of speak about their Christianity and their walk with God, and they make it sound like they never have a bad day. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever experienced this? Like, that, like it's like I, I, I call it social media Christianity, right? Where they post on their social media, like they're like, I just got done studying my Bible, and it's like their Bible's open on a perfectly clean dinner table with a cup of coffee and like and like a bagel with like the cream cheese spread on it, perfectly like a commercial, and they have their their lit candle and their highlighters, and they're like, they just look like they just had this moment, and you look at that and you're like, wow, my Bible reading has never looked like that. Right. Usually, like a lot of times I'm listening to it as I drive to work and I'm late, you know, or whatever it may be. Or you just see these type of people, even maybe sometimes like preachers, and they'll talk about their walk with God. They'll talk about their, their, their walk with Jesus in a, such a way where they make it sound like they have never had a bad day. They've never had a bad day. It's just Christianity that looks really good for the cameras. It's the type of Christianity that flexes to people how because of your relationship with God, you're never discouraged. You never struggle. Things are always easy. And what happens oftentimes is that you and I, we see people like this. We see people living their Christianity in such a way where they, it seems like, man, they just never seem to struggle with discouragement. They seem to never have seasons of doubt or whatever it may be. And we see this and it's like, okay, am I, what am I doing wrong to where that's not my everyday experience? Have you ever, have you ever felt like this before? Anybody? Cool. Okay, sweet. Some people, right? I think we're honest. We probably all have felt like this at some point. Because I think it's important for us to understand that no matter how close you are with the Lord, no matter how passionately you are pursuing Jesus, I think it's important for us to know that there are going to be days that are just bad days. You know what I mean? You're going to have seasons in your life that are difficult seasons. You are going to experience discouragement in your Christian life. It's just going to happen. You're going to experience seasons where things are discouraging. And this is one of the many reasons that I love the Bible so much. Right? I love the Bible because it doesn't just take these instances and it doesn't paint Christianity as, you know, it's this fairy tale experience all the time. Really what you see when you read the Bible is, especially when you read about the, the prominent figures in the Bible, is that you see that a lot of the times they're actually not living this great, you know, wonderful rainbows and lollipops life. That what you're seeing is that they're actually in the midst of struggle and trial. And what you see is that Christianity is, is a practical faith. That it's not something that is just, okay, it's something that's off in la-la land and we have this, you know, you know, this perfect actualized version of life where we never had a bad day or we never have a difficult season or we never have times where we doubt. I talk to a lot of students. I talk to you guys a lot. And one thing that I hear a lot is people struggle with 
well, I feel like I don't, you know, I, I feel like whenever I doubt or whenever I'm having a bad season or like, am I doing something wrong? Even when you see, other than, you know, even like the heroes, quote unquote, of the Bible, like David and Abraham and Moses and, and all of these incredible people who do incredible things, the Bible actually really goes out of their, its way to show not only the good sides, but also, also the bad sides of these people. And nowhere is this more clear than in the life of David. We've been, if you've been with us over the past several weeks, we've been going through 1 Samuel. We've seen some pretty incredible figures. We've seen Samuel. We've seen Saul. We've been, and really lately we've been focusing in on David. And we've seen David have some incredibly high moments. These, these moments where, man, like where he defeats Goliath. And you're like, yo, look at David. This is amazing. And then we also see these moments where David has incredible lows. We see David defeat Goliath like we saw earlier. Later in 2 Samuel, you will see David make terrible decisions where he sins with Bathsheba and then tries to cover it up and, and how it just gets worse and worse and worse. And yet we still see that David is called to be a man. He's, he's described as a man who is after God's own heart. And why is this? Like Why is it that David is called a man after God's own heart when we see David continually have high moments and low moments? And I think it's, we need to understand that it's not because David is this perfect Christian. It's not because David follows God perfectly. I think what you see is, is there's just, when, you, when we look at David, we find that there's just a real honesty in his walk. There's just a real honesty in his walk with God that I think many of us neglect in our life. I think a lot of us try to live this fairy tale version of Christianity and whenever we see, we experience seasons of discouragement or seasons where things are hard, rather than openly acknowledge them, rather than even when we, are, when we do sin, turn and repent, what we do is, is, is we just try to fake it till we make it. But something I want you guys to know, I want everyone, as, you, as we kind of get ready to dive into, our, into the word today, I want, I want you to know this, is that don't buy into the lie that if you love Jesus, every day is going to be perfect. Don't buy into the lie that if you have that if you love Jesus, you're never gonna have a bad day, you're never gonna be discouraged, you're never gonna struggle. I also want you to know this that if that you are not a bad Christian if you have seasons of discouragement. We all walk through them, it's just a part of life. See, the goal is as a Christian, the goal is not to avoid discouragement. The real question is this, is what do you do when you are discouraged? And how do we recover when we allow discouragement to lead us away from God? How do we recover from that? That's the question. It's not do we, how we should avoid bad seasons, how we should avoid discouragement. The question is, what do we do when those seasons come? And when we do allow those seasons to draw us away from God, how do we repent and recover? And that's what we're going to see when we look at David tonight. We're going to start in chapter 27. We're going to be hopping kind of all over the place. Some of it's going to be on the screen. Uh, a lot of it may not. And because we're going to be hopping around, I'm just going to keep you guys seated tonight. It's going to be a little bit of a different feel. Uh, but so we're going to just kind of start here. And the first thing we're going to see is David's discouragement. Verse 1 of chapter 27 says this, Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me that I should escape than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. 
See, before this, if you were with us last time we were together, what we saw is David had this opportunity to take matters into his own, his own hands. Do you remember this? Right? David, just to kind of catch you up, David has been anointed to be the next king of Israel. God has promised that he would be the next king of Israel. This is something that he has been waiting for. He has been striving for this. And for years, he has been on the run from Saul, who has sought to kill him for it. He's been running from Saul, living in caves experiencing just a difficult life. And last week, and last week we saw he had this opportunity to kill Saul. He had this opportunity to seize everything he ever wanted, but he refused to do it. What did he say? He says he ultimately told Saul, he's like, let God be the judge between you and I. Do you remember this? We alive? We awake? We good? Do we need to do more narwhal stretches? Because like, okay, all right. All right. We see that, man, he's he's... He's ultimately like trusting God, right? He trusted God in God's timing and in God's plan. But now we jump into chapter one, uh, uh, chapter 27, and we see a very different David, right? We don't see this David who's being patient. We don't see this David who is trusting and joyful in the Lord. We see a David that is discouraged and dejected. Verse 1 says that David said in his heart, and, and, and before we move any further, I think it's very important that we kind of key in on this phrase, right? The remainder of 1 Samuel, if you, as you read it, and we're going to kind of highlight some things as we go along tonight, the remainder of 1 Samuel is actually a pretty sad story for David. We see David backslide. We, find he, we, we see David find himself in positions that several years ago, David probably would have never, ever dreamed that he would be in this situation. But I want us to see where it all begins, right? Where does this backsliding begin? Ultimately, it begins in his heart. He, in his, this discouragement that set, takes place in his heart. It's, it says, David says in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. See, but this is, this, this is a stark contrast from the David that we saw previously in the book, right? This is a stark contrast, right? Not only just before the, what we saw last week, but... Also, way back when he fought Goliath, right? David is convinced here. David is convinced that he's going to die. He's convinced he's going to die, not just die, but die at the hands of Saul. What does this mean? This means this, is that David is convinced that all the promises of God that he has heard, all of his trusting in God, all of these years of running for his life will ultimately be pointless. He's like, why am I even wasting my time? It seems that there's no hope for him ever becoming king. He's been running for years with seemingly no progress. God, if you were going to do what you said you were going to do, why haven't you done it already? Like, what, what is, what is, what, what's taking so long? Has anybody ever been in a season where you're just like, God, what are you doing? What is going on? And you're discouraged. David's tired of waiting for God. He's tired of trusting in God. The same man who's delivered from the hand of Goliath has forgotten how many times God has delivered him time and time again in the past. And notice that he doesn't say it out loud. He says it in his heart. This is, this is inward conversation. This is, this is deeper. right? He may have never said it to anybody else. He may have never said it to his friends. He, may have never, he most likely may have never said it even to God. But inwardly, David was convinced that he would never see God's promise fulfilled for him. And it's interesting that David would, could say all the right things outwardly. 
right? He can say all the right things outwardly. God will be the judge between you and me. And, and, and all these things, you can read the Psalms and, and things that he genuinely meant in the moment. But what you find is that as time went on, the discouragement began to set in. And here's the question we have to face. Where do you run in the midst of your discouragement? Where do you run in the midst of your discouragement? Because like we said, let's be real, discouragement comes. Bad times come. You can't avoid it. It's going to happen. There will be days where it will seem like what you see with your eyes doesn't line up with what you believe to be true. There's going to be seasons in life where you're going to feel alone. And you're going to feel like there's no one there for you. There's going to be seasons or even days in your life where it seems like God is being silent with you. There's going to be seasons in your life where you come to church and outwardly do all the right things, but inwardly no one knows the discouragement you're really carrying. And this may be where some of you are tonight, right now. You come in here and, and you put on a happy face. How you put on a happy face. Why? Because of the social media Christianity that you feel is expected of you. That you have to come in, right? Because if I'm struggling, it's because I have a lack of faith or whatever other garbage you may have heard. You come in, you put on a happy face. You Maybe you've been coming for weeks, but no one really knows the discouragement that you've been struggling with. And here's the question that I have. Again, where do you go with that discouragement? As we continue reading, I want you to see where David goes because when you and I allow discouragement to take root in our lives and when we don't deal with it correctly, we'll find that it will lead us to places that we do not want to be. So we see David's discouragement. The second thing we see is David's backsliding. See, when discouragement is not handled well, it will almost always lead to backsliding. Now, what do I mean by backsliding? What I mean by backsliding is this. It's like imagine... Like when you're trying to climb up a hill or a mountain or something like that, and, uh, and, and basically you're kind of slipping. It's like the more you try, the more you just kind of fall back, and you're not getting where you want to be. That's kind of, the, kind of the picture that we're getting here, meaning this, that you're falling away from what you're supposed to be as a Christian. Your relationship with God is strained. It, it, your, relationship with, your relationship with God isn't what it used to be. Things just seem to be struggling. It seems like God's silent. It seems like, man, you're just, you're not the Christian that you once were. Kind of like you had this honeymoon phase with Jesus and then it kind of fades. Think of the church in Ephesus in, in the book of Revelation. When God says to Ephesus, what does he say? Because you have abandoned your first love, right? You've left your first love. That's kind of what we mean by backsliding Christians. So here's the question. How do you know that you are backsliding? How do you know that you've allowed discouragement to get you to a place where you are beginning to backslide? And I think there's three things. There's three stages. Right, there's three stages of backsliding. That I think we see very clear in the story of David. Stage one is you prioritize immediate satisfaction over long-term spiritual health. What is David's desire here? What do we say? What, what, what do we see David say? I shall surely perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. David wants to get away from Saul. That's it. He wants to get away from Saul. David has lost perspective. He's lost perspective on being king over Israel. Has he forgotten? Has he forgotten all the promises of God? He's forgotten all about the times that God has delivered him time and time again. He must have forgotten about the Psalms that he wrote in the cave. 
See, all he wants is to get immediate relief from his problem that's right in front of him. So what does he do? He uproots himself. He uproots the 600 men that are with him, the 600 men and their families that are with them. And they travel to Gath, which is one of the capital cities of the Philistines. And David seeks refuge. He doesn't just seek refuge in a cave, or he doesn't just seek refuge in En Gedi, like we've saw, seen recently. He seeks refuge amongst the idol-worshiping, God-hating, Israel-opposing Philistines. The same Philistines that Israel has been at war with for generations. The same Philistines who stole the Ark of the Covenant and tried to make God one of their idols. The same Philistines who sent Goliath. And while David was with and, and while David is with the Philistines, while David is here with the Philistines, he's going to continue to spiral out of control. For a long time. We see he ends up living with the Philistines for a year and four months. It's like, did he think about what this would mean? Did he think about what it would mean for him to go and live with the Philistines? If you continue reading, it says what? Verse 2, so David arose and went over, he and the 600 men who were with him, to Achish, the son of Moax, king of Gath. And David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. And when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. But did David think about this? Think about it. He can't be the king of Israel if he's living in, with the Philistines. He can't be the king of Israel while he's living with the Philistines. He can't honor God and worship God while he lives in a country that hates God and worships false gods and worships false idols. He can't fulfill God's plan for his life while he is running from it. All David sees is that the Philistines provide him with safety from Saul, and that's all David cared about. He had lost all perspective. His immediate relief was, for him, he took the immediate relief rather than the long-term spiritual health of the situation. He just wanted to numb the pain. And probably some of you can relate to that. You do whatever you can to just numb the pain knowing that it's going to cost you in your spiritual health in the long run, you don't care as long as it numbs now. See, David saw the fortified cities of the Philistines and saw everything he wanted in that moment. But he neglected to think this. What, what good is it if I have these fortified cities, but I'm against God? What good are these cities? Right, what good is this immediate satisfaction if it leads to spiritual decay? Think of what Jesus says in the Gospels when he says, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and to lose his soul? Right? So you prioritize immediate satisfaction over long-term spiritual health. Stage two is you seek comfort among the enemies of God rather than the people of God. We just read about it, right? Where did he go? He goes to the Philistines. Now when David arrives before King Achish, of the Philistines, notice how David speaks, right? If I have found favor in your eyes. Here's a question. Since when does David care about finding favor in the eyes of the Philistines? Imagine if, da if someone would have went to David before David fought Goliath. said, so David, you might not want to kill Goliath because it's going to cause you to lose favor in the eyes of the Philistines. What would David have said? 
they would have said, good, right? Let me know if I ever find favor, and I'll do something that I should, I'll try to mess it up. Right? Since when does David care about this? Since when does David care about finding favor in the eyes of those who are enemies of Israel and enemies of God? This is the same David that told Goliath, today the birds of the air will feast on your flesh. In his distress, he turned to those who do not know God. And I'll tell you this, that the number one way you can tell if you are backsliding as a Christian is if you isolate yourself from other believers. I see this all the time. I'm not speaking theoretically here. I can give you names of people. Names of people who even, like, like people that you all know that, man, they've, they've, they've experienced this, but they've come back from that, and man, like, like and, and it's real. But one thing that happens oftentimes when you're backsliding is the last place you want to be is with other Christians. I don't know if you can relate to this. So what do you do? Is that you, get, you, don't, you, you, you neglect the gathering of the church. You don't want to be there. You isolate yourself from other Christians. You see, what happens for many of us is that we see everyone else living this fairy tale Christian life. Not that Christianity is a fairy tale, but they're living their Christianity in a way that's not realistic. Or they're trying to portray this Christianity. You know what I'm trying to say? They're trying to portray this Christianity that really you don't even see in the Bible. And what happens is you feel lesser than, you feel judged, you, you're struggling, but no one else seems to struggle. So, man, I just, I don't even want to be around it. We have a bunch of people come in here being fake. And you think being fake makes you feel accepted, but all it does is make others feel rejected. We feel like we don't measure up whatever it may be, and we end up avoiding church, avoiding the people who can point us towards Jesus, and we inevitably run to the world to comfort us. Please know this. Don't expect to receive godly advice from ungodly people. That's just the way it rolls. Don't expect to receive godly advice from ungodly people. I want you to notice something, right? Saul could never drive David to go to the ungodly Philistines. If Saul commanded David to go live with the Philistines, David would have been like, no way. But you know what could drive David to do this? His discouragement. His despair. See, discouragement and despair were more powerful motivators than Saul was. And you will find that when discouragement is not handled well, it will drive you farther away from God than you ever wanted to go in the first place. As you isolate yourself from, the Christ, from Christian community and you neglect your long-term spiritual health for the sake of immediate comforts, it will always lead you to the next stage of backsliding. Stage number three is that you fall into more and more sin. If you continue reading, you see this. Now David and his men went up and made raids against the Gesherites, the, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. So David and his men, ultimately, they're given kind of this, this city called Ziklag, and this is where they live. While they live there, David makes his living. David makes his living raiding other towns. I want you to hear this. For these were the inhabitants of the land from the old, as of Shur, as far as Shur, to the land of Egypt. And David would strike the land, 
and would leave neither man nor woman alive, but would take away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, the garments, and come back to Achish. Such was his, and you skip ahead a little bit more, such was his custom all the while he lived in the country of the Philistines. For a year and a half, David would go into these lands, murder people, and take their things. How does this happen? What happened? How do you get to this point? How do you continue to fall into this point? Verse 12, and Achish trusted David, thinking he has made himself an utter stench to his people Israel, therefore he shall always be my servant. David made a living off of raiding the inhabitants of the people or groups around him. He and his men would go in, raid the people, murder them so that no one could tell anybody what happened. To make things even worse, he told King Achish that he was raiding Israelite towns when he wasn't. And what happens as you continue on at the end of chapter 27 into chapter 28, now the Philistines are going to go against the Israelites. The Philistines go to attack the Israelites, and guess what King Achish says to David? You're coming with me. Chapter 27, in the beginning of chapter 28, what do we see? In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, understand that you, are your, you and your men are to go out with me in the army. Now David has to live this out. Think of this. When Goliath stood against and defied the armies of Israel, David said, how dare you? Now what is David about to do? He's standing on the battle lines in Goliath's place, about to go against the armies of Israel. How does he get to that point? What does David say in response? David said to Achish, very well. You shall know what your servant can do. David's like, watch me. David's now in a place that he probably never imagined himself to be, amongst the ungodly, ready to fight against God's people. How has David fallen so far? What happened to the David who rebuked Goliath? What happened to the David who wrote Psalms in the cave? See, I want you to understand something. That David doesn't just wake up one day and decide, I want to be against Israel. He didn't just go from slaying Goliath to saying, you know what? I want to go against God's people now. You know, it's, it's not an overnight switch. You want to know how it happens? It happens slowly. It happens like, like a fade. It's a slow and gradual decline that leads him to this point. And I want you to know that backsliding as a Christian doesn't happen overnight. It's one compromise after another compromise after another compromise until ultimately it leads you to a point where you look at your life and you're like, how did I get here? How did I get to this point? It'll lead you farther away from God than you ever expected and it will, and it will happen very slowly. I have shared this with you guys before. I have seen this happen as well. People come through this student ministry here at Central. I've been serving uh, around the student ministry here for Central now for 10 years. I've seen a lot of students come through. Seen a lot come, a lot go. I've seen a lot of them go through this. Seen a lot of them go through this slow fade. 
I've seen countless stories of, Christ, of professing Christians backsliding. And I say this to tell you that the moment that you think that you are not in need of God's grace to keep you from straying is the moment that you're the most in danger of straying. There's a hymn, and there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a verse in this, or there's a, a line in this hymn that says, it's prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. What is it saying? It's saying this, is that all of us have a tendency to stray away from God. And the song is saying, God, take my heart, seal it, and keep me from straying from you. Keep me from wandering from you. Because the moment you think that you don't need God's grace is the moment that you are the most in need of it. See, as sinners, we're prone to wander from God. And what happens when you allow your discouragement to run its course and drive you from Christian fellowship, drive you further into sin, is that our desire to wander becomes reality. Now, I also want to be very clear about something. Because this kind of leads to to, to natural questions. Am I truly saved if I backslide? Am I truly saved if I stray away from God? Am I truly saved if I have seasons where I fall into sin? I think we need to be very careful, but we understand that the Bible is very clear that as Christians, we are not perfect. That we have a sinful flesh. 1 John 1, 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. All of us sin. All of us struggle with sin. But we, should remor- we should remember something very important. God will not allow a true Christian to persist in their rebellion forever. Meaning this, you may absolutely have seasons in your life where you backslide. Now we shouldn't. We should never take that lightly. We should never say, well, everyone does it. No. It's very likely, it's, it's possible, right, that you'll have seasons in your life where you will backslide, whether it's a day, a week, maybe like when you graduate high school and you get wrapped up in things that you know you shouldn't. Maybe you have four years where you stray. But understand this, the true Christian, God will not allow them to be in rebellion forever. Why? Because presence of the Holy Spirit in their life, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the thing. If they persist in their rebellion, then the question we have to ask is this. It's very likely that they probably were never saved to begin with. So, when we say, am I truly saved if I backslide? It's very possible that you are, but you should also ask, why am I backsliding? Why am I backsliding? So we begin to see this really in the, in, the, in the story of David as we continue into chapter 29. Chapter 28 kind of jumps back to a story with Saul. That's a very interesting story. And if you go to Chick-fil-A later, we could talk about that story. Right? But we jump back into t- chapter 29. It says this, Now the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek, and the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel. And the lords of the Philistines were passing one by hundreds and by thousands, and David and his men were passing on in the rear with Achish. The commanders of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? 
So what we see is that the leaders, the commanders of the Philistines' army see David and his men, and they're like, yo, what's this guy doing here? Why do they see this? Because as you read on, they say, hey, isn't this the guy that they sing about where they say Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands? They're like, why are we keeping the, the killer of Goliath with us? What's fascinating is this, is that the Philistines know who David is more than David does. They're like, no, we don't want to fight with this dude. We don't want to fight with this guy. And Achish says, no, 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 no. Like, is this not, and I want you to, like, just listen to what Achish says. And imagine this being said about you. They said, what are these Hebrews doing here? Achish said, all right, is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel? Oh, sorry, this is what they said to Achish. King of Israel, who has been with me now Oh, so sorry, Achish said this, my fault. And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, there we go, if I read that, that would be helpful. This, is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me now for days and years, and since he deserted to me, I have found no fault in him to this day. Imagine this, imagine being David, and the, the king of the enemies of God says, nah, man, this guy's cool with me. It's kind of like being with your friends, and they say, nah, like so-and-so, they wouldn't want to do that because they're a Christian. And then one of them says, no, 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 they're not. They don't mind. They've been with me for years. They've been doing stuff like this for years. Where they don't care. This is where David's at. But ultimately, King Achish doesn't want to upset his generals. He doesn't want to upset his leaders. So he tells David, hey, man, you got to go. You got to go. My people, my, my, my guys don't want you. They don't want to fight with you. And David says, what have I done? Why? Why can't I fight? Yo, David, like, my boy, get the hint. Well, ultimately, David is sent home. And there's a few things that I want us to see here with a little bit of time we have left. The Philistine leaders knew who David was better than David did. But the second thing is this, is that God restricts David's sinfulness. Notice, God, that David being sent home, what does that do? It kept David from fighting against, the Philist, fighting against God's people. Is that God kept David from sinning as much as David may have wanted to. And I want you to understand something, that we should praise God for the times that he keeps us from sinning as badly as we might want to. See, the only thing that keeps you from being as sinful as you possibly could be is God's restraining grace on your life. And that is good news. Ultimately, David is rejected by the Philistine leaders. David now has no home. David has tried to live his life with a foot in both worlds. He has tried to be this leader of the Israelite people. He's tried to live amongst the Philistines, and he's been rejected by both. And what you find is this, is that when you try to live in a world with your foot in both worlds, you are ultimately going to be rejected by both of them. You, David... I love what this one commenter said. He says, David has too much of the world in him to, to be at peace with the Lord and too much of the Lord in him to be at peace with the world. This is a bad place to be. This is where a lot of you try to be. A lot of us, we try to be this. We try to be, what? Well, I just, I just want enough of Jesus to be cool with him and enough of the world to be cool with them. But what you find is if you have enough of Jesus to where you're not cool with the world, you have enough of the world to where you're not cool with Jesus. And you have nothing. 
David returns home, and while David is gone, if you skip ahead to chapter 30, David returns, he finds his town of Ziklag has been destroyed. The Amalekites come through and do exactly what David had been doing. They raid Ziklag, and they take all of his family with them. They capture his wives. They capture all of the women and children that live there, and they take them with them. The, t- the city has been burned. If you g- skip to chapter 30, it says, They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire, and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. The, they killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives, which... The fact that he had two wives is another problem. Also had been taken captive. Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of, uh, of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. Because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. Think about this. Now David is weeping, not simply because of all of this around him, but now David realizes that it's his fault. Now... He's been rejected by Israel. He's been rejected by the Philistines. Now he's been rejected by his own men. And David has nobody. Nobody. This is a new low. This is the lowest point you will find, David. This is a new low. This is the lowest point that that we have found, David. This is as low as David has ever been. David is now the prodigal son who is sitting in the pig pen. Remember when Jesus gives that story of the prodigal son? And and he's eating the, the slop of the pigs, and he realizes, what am I doing? And sometimes I want you to know this. Sometimes God has to get it to where you hit the ground so hard that you bounce back up. And this is where David is. Notice that God uses crisis to wake up David. And sometimes when we're backsliding, it's we're backsliding and we're backsliding. Sometimes if you don't get it together, God is going to cause you to hit the ground so hard that you have no choice but to wake up. And I want you to understand something, that that is, a, that is an act of God's mercy, not his judgment. You know what would be an act of God's judgment? Him allowing you to be comfortable all the way to hell. That's an act of God's judgment. God's mercy is slapping you to get you to repent. But what do we see as we continue on? But David strengthened himself in the Lord. A year and a half has gone by. This is the first reference that we have, really, of David crying out to God. Another sign of backsliding, I didn't put it in there, is that David, of the 150 psalms, David writes about 73 of them. Of all of those psalms, it's written during various periods of David's life. We've read one a a couple weeks ago. There's a few that he writes after this. But during this season where he lives with the Philistines, he, he never writes a single psalm. What do you see? Another sign of backsliding is that your prayer life is virtually non-existent. It's the first time he cries out to God. And what do we see? Is that God strengthens him. 
God strengthens him. God is there for him. And think about think of all the evil that David has done. Think of the fact that it was only God that kept David from doing even more. Why would God strengthen him? Why would God be merciful and kind to David? You want to know why? It's because God is merciful. And he's kind. But more than that, David is strengthened by God because of the sacrifice of Jesus. If you skip to Romans chapter 3, if you don't flip to it, that's cool. I'll I'll read it to you. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and they are justified. How are these people justified? By his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Okay, Jesus, who God put forward as a propitiation. That means it's a payment that satisfies a debt. So Jesus dying on the cross was a payment that satisfied a debt. Satisfies our sin debt. Why did he do this? This was to show God's righteousness. Why does God have to show his righteousness? Why does God have to show that he is just and righteous? Because in his divine forbearance or his patience, he had passed over former sins. What does this mean? It means that God had forgiven sins in the Old Testament. And in order to show that he is still just and righteous, the punishment for those sins was poured out onto Jesus. Meaning this, is that the reason that David could be strengthened and have mercy from God is the same reason that you can be strengthened and have mercy from God, and it's because of Jesus. Do you see this? Is that David could look forward to his redemption. We look backward to our redemption, but all redemption is found in Jesus. All redemption is found in Jesus. David repents. He cries out to God. He asks God, what should I do? David said, God tells him, go after the Amalekites. He does go after the Amalekites. He rescues his family. And after David repents, you want to know what immediately happens after this? Saul dies. David returns to Israel, and he's anointed king. Boom, boom, boom. How quickly would that have happened if David had not rebelled? So what do we do with this? As we kind of wrap it up, what do we do? One, we should always remind ourselves of God's promises and his love for us. The reason that David's even started with this discouragement in the first place is that he doubted God's promises. He doubted God's love. As a Christian, God's love for you should be on your mind every day. And the moment you forget is the moment that you start to doubt and is the moment that discouragement sets in. Again, it's not wrong to be discouraged. It's going to happen. But how do you overcome it is you remind yourself of the gospel. What is the demonstration of God's love? What? The dem- that he demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You... You never know when discouragement will come. So the gospel should be the theme of your life every day. But I also want you to understand this. If you have strayed, if you find yourself backsliding from the Lord, understand this, is that God's mercy and his ability to forgive is greater than your ability to sin. And you have not strayed so far that God has not reached his hand out to you and said, I'm right here. 
repent. That verse that I read in 1 John 1, 1.8 says, if anyone says that he is without sin, he deceives himself and the truth is not in him. The very next verse says this, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here's the thing, guys. If you're in this room tonight and you feel like, man, you've been straying and maybe you haven't murdered a bunch of people, praise the Lord. But you're like, man, I, I, I can relate to David, right? I can relate to, man, I've allowed my discouragement, I've allowed this stuff to, to lead me into sins that I'm ashamed of, to lead me. In. You know what? Here's the beauty of a relationship with Jesus is that he says, give that to me, and then it's over. Right? That backsliding can stop tonight. Give it to Jesus. Jesus. 